Welcome to High Energy Health, where together we explore the leading edge of wellness and happiness. I'm your host, Dawson Church. By choosing this time together, you're declaring your commitment to a positive mindset, elevated emotions, and a great life. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Hello and welcome to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church, and on the show, each week I bring you insights, I bring you inspiration, and I bring you the thrill of discovery, not just of ideas, but also of tools you can use in your own daily life. I recently was struck by the huge dichotomy I see in people's experiences. And you talk to some people and they're really suffering and they're really having a terrible time in a annual global assessment of human well-being that's done by a big foundation. They ask people to rank their well-being on a scale of zero through 10. And in some countries, like, for example, countries like India, China, Mexico, there are a lot of people at the low end of the spectrum, 21% of Indian adults on a scale of 0 to 10 score themselves at 0. In other words, their lives couldn't get any worse. I mean, 21% of adults in this biggest country in the world, India, in terms of population, biggest country in the world, score themselves at 0. And that same poll found that although people in so many parts of the world are, are suffering and there's this feeling of malaise, People are at the other end of the spectrum are thriving. An unprecedented number of people in the world are thriving as never before. So there's this big dichotomy. And I urge you to do things like listen to High Energy Health, fill your life with positive people, positive books, positive music, positive media. Just fill your life with all the things it takes to nudge your experience into that positive end of the spectrum. So I know that listening to the show is one of those things. Bookmark the page. Come back here week after week after week. Not only do we have fast guests. We have some wonderful guest hosts who are going to be sharing programs with you over the course of, of the next while, while I go to a three-month retreat. So that'll be a, a, a really wonderful departure to see some one fresh new faces who will be sharing their wisdom with you and those of our guests. But make high energy health, make these this positive inoculation part of your daily, weekly, and monthly routine. Nudge yourself toward that thriving end of the spectrum. Even though there are so many things you can be worried about, make sure you balance those things with uh, with a strong input of everything worthwhile, good, kind, noble, beautiful. And there are so many of those things happening as well. So thank you for being here. Thanks for being part of this community. Thanks for loving yourself enough to nurture your consciousness by listening to High Energy Health. It's a, such a pleasure to be here with you and to be marinating in the wonderful sense of community we create here at the show. My guest today is Thomas Hubel, and he has a new book called Attuned. Thomas Hubel is an international speaker and teacher. His work integrates modern science with the insights of humanity's great wisdom traditions. He teaches workshops, online courses, and live events in the U.S. and Europe. Thomas, it's a pleasure to have you here on High Energy Health. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm curious uh, where are we going to go with this conversation. So <laughs> thank you for having me. 
we're going to go to all kinds of places, probably plumb the depths and also explore the heights. So, <laughs> right, exactly. I'd like to just um, have you give us just a very brief sense of your history and how you got to be where you are. And then I want to move into your mystical experiences and also the whole focus of your new book, Attuned. So let's start with just a, a brief introduction to your personal story. So my personal story, I think, is a little bit unconventional in the sense that I already, when I was 16, I, I joined the Red Cross as a volunteer and I became a paramedic and later a trainer for paramedics and I started to study medicine. And then with 26, I left my medical studies. I went on a four-year meditation retreat. I had very deep a very deep time during that time in these four years. And then after these four years, I got invitations to workshops and pass on what I have experienced. So I did that and then I traveled around the world. And then over in the first years of my teaching time, like I came across what then I studied for 20 years as trauma and collective trauma and wisdom traditions and spiritual development and so that that then became the stream of my work and uh, all the other things arose from that a short version i want to rewind to one moment there 26 years old and going on a four year retreat that's obviously you know what every 26 year old plans to do they just say oh i'm gonna go on a four-year meditation retreat that's a really remarkable juncture i mean something enormously catalytic must have happened to prompt that kind of radical departure from a conventional life path that's true it's like no, i felt it i started to meditate when i was 19 and when i was 26 i felt like i need i didn't know that it's gonna be four years and turned out to be four years later then but i felt i need to go deeply inside to also detox a part of myself from what i've learned and what i've been conditioned by and and then i and to find a deeper place in myself to and i felt all the time it's needed to bring what i have to bring to the world i need that kind of learning and i often said to people but i'm studying in a different way like it's a inner studying and i and it was very powerful and for me but very meaningful time so it was absolutely the right thing to do but it wasn't always easy because i love science and i love you know i love also contributing to the world i was a volunteer for nine years at the red cross and i loved it and i love being active in society so but it was a very important time and i think it taught me a lot that i'm passing on today well i love that phrase you use detox from my conditioning i needed to detox my conditioning and most people <laughs> don't even realize they are conditioned they don't realize they're just on a hamster wheel they are living this life in which there are expectations made of them they're raised a certain way and uh, i remember one physician friend of mine said in my family there was we had a, a choice we could go into various careers doctor or lawyer <laughs> <laughs> there was the choice she experienced in her brain <laughs> she just followed the, the script blindly for decades until she hit a wall got very sick and dropped out and so many of us, when we have a crisis, don't even realize we're conditioned. And we're following that conditioning faithfully. Sometimes our, our whole lives, Shankara says that it, many people just begin their life that way unconsciously, end their life that way unconsciously, and have very few moments of consciousness in between. So that idea that mm -hmm. you would actually pause, stop, go away, and consciously let all the stuff shift is a powerful, powerful, powerful idea. If people take nothing away from this interview other than the idea that you can do that, and it's necessary to do it at a certain point, I think we'll have done them a service. 
Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. As I said, I was already, when I was 19, I felt I need to do this. I engaged in body psychotherapy. I, I did a lot of other things. So I always felt the urge, very young already on, I felt that I need to bring more attention to how I've been conditioned, the unconscious parts of myself, the hurt parts of myself. So that felt like always a big urge. And then, of course, the more I matured and the more I also then the experiences in of these four years plus my work then gave me more and more language to formulate some of these principles of the work that that I'm also teaching now globally and and I think that all of this together I see is a very important detox process to also see the world more clearly and not just see the world through the filters that we are trained to put on or that we've needed to develop in order to go through difficult experiences ourselves. So I think that's that was always a strong motivation in me. Yeah. And don't know where to lead initially. And then we have to just along with that impulse and trust. And then when that movement occurs, we then do move to, to new heights of realization and see ourselves from a different perspective. And you have focused particularly on the area of trauma and also not just individual trauma, but also collective trauma, the whole idea of living this collectively traumatized life. And, you know, trauma is often thought of be as being the, the body's response, the nervous system's response to a life-threatening event or a perceived life-threatening event. And that produces remarkable shifts in neurophysiology. People who have PTSD, for example, have dramatically shorter lifespans. They have dramatically compromised health. They have more cancer. They have more heart disease. It produces all of these issues. And the Adverse Childhood Experiences study done in the 1990s showed us that people with adverse childhood experiences, unhealed childhood trauma, have greater amounts of disease in their 50s as adults and it scales. The more trauma as a child, the greater the disease burden. 50 years later, it doesn't heal spontaneously. We have to do something about it. We have to consciously approach our healing. And so that's a powerful beginning and one that, that is sometimes also interwoven with growth. People can also experience post-traumatic growth as well as post-traumatic stress. So how do we nudge ourselves in the direction of using whatever adverse experiences we've had for that process of reflection, of detoxing, rather than just going along with our and being programmed by our traumas. Yeah, I think, first of all, for some, as you said already, I think for some of us, the suffering and the consequences of the trauma symptoms in health, relationships, workplaces, society are a driving factor. So the suffering becomes the motivation. For some of us, and also I think an increasing level of understanding of many of the things that you just mentioned, like what science tells us already about trauma is and how it's inherently connected to health, for example, that there's an increasing number in our population that is aware of that and says, okay, we actually need to do something before all these symptoms manifest, and we can do something, and we develop more and more modalities that are really having an impact and changing, in a way, the way our life can go. And I have seen thousands of people really change their life by engaging a deeper work and and that, that we know like when we integrate trauma we create more creativity we are more grounded we feel more regulated and related we feel more engaged we feel less either disconnected or triggered all the time and so there are many many positive effects to the integration of trauma and then 
because my work started also in Europe and in the German speaking Germany, Austria, Switzerland, it's like I have seen in the in many of my workshops because they grew pretty fast, the groups became big very fast, and a lot of groups that I led brought up the collective dimension, the Second World War, the Holocaust. And then we, we expanded and I started to study this because it happened all the time. It came up all the time. So I, we deepened this and we created a lot of work between Jewish people from around the world, from Israel, Holocaust survivor families and people from Germany and even Nazi descendants. And we had very deep work being done. And through like doing this for many years, I learned a lot about the collective trauma dynamics and to understand that we have been born into a world that was already hurt when we came. And sometimes we forget that because we look at trauma as individual, what happened to me in my attachment and what happened to me through difficult experiences, but that our ancestors were hurt and we have more and more epigenetic evidence that how trauma gets encoded in our epigenetic genome which which activates our genes and that following generations express trauma symptoms even without having a strong traumatic experience in their life in their biography and often they also do because of their parents being traumatized or their environment so but there is a it's not just what we experienced in our life it's also what we were born into the ecosystem family system also the cultural ecosystem really has an effect and so trauma is much bigger as a system than our individual life and i think that was very important for me to also publish like i write a book about and i think now the collective dimension of trauma becomes more and more a buzzword and i think it also relates to how you started the show today that you spoke about this strong polarization between thriving and really, really feeling that the well-being is at zero. I think that kind of canyon that we see here in this study, there is collective trauma at the root of the strong difference. Let's go from being zoomed way out into this big picture view of collective trauma and that we're born into a society and a world which is collectively traumatized. Let's zoom from that wide perspective into a, a really narrow one. And I'd love to have you just share one or two stories about people when you're doing that work with Holocaust survivors, people in Germany, people in Israel. I'd love to hear just a couple of stories about how that expressed itself in the personal experience of people who are doing that work. Yeah, First of all, there is something about creating a container where where we can come together and and create safe. So first of all, when we talk about difficult past experiences in our biography or let's say our family members, like we need a safe space. What we often do is we create a safe space through relational practices, through contemplative practices, through the way we we kind of interact with each other. And when there is enough safety, our nervous system naturally wants to detox the past. So that there's a natural self healing mechanism if it's safe enough because if we feel it's not safe enough we don't open up because we're already expecting another level of pain to happen so the first i want to say this at the beginning because i think it's important that we know how important safety is and safety 
is being created by I feel you and I feel how you feel me. When it's not just an intellectual process, but when we really feel each other, then our nervous systems being felt is being registered as uh, it's safer. And when it's safer, I trust more. I can open up more. And so when we create that environment, it's amazing what happens when a group of people listens to one person's sharing and there is a kind of a group holding through many people practicing i feel you feeling me it creates a space where people are kind of empowered to share deep aspects of their experience and in doing that and being witnessed with less judgmental and more curious way of listening that in itself already creates a healing and then of course when we go deeper into that experience in a skillful way and we do it as much as we can do it in a resourced way as you said at the beginning it's very important to resource oneself and not to drown in the pain but then that holding space of a group i have seen many people share things that they have never said to anybody before in front of a, a group and of course these groups evolve over days so to become more and more safe and close and related and then we can literally see how the holding of trauma stress in our bodies step by step relaxes and tension starts to dissipate, fear starts to be integrated, that stress that pushes up into overthinking, into tensions in the body, and that all that creates these health issues that you were talking about before. And we can really see how we step by step kind of ground ourselves together and then there's more freedom, more fluidity, more um, connectedness to one's own body. We also see how often we actually interact when we feel numb, when we don't feel our body really, when we don't feel our emotions really. And the more we create systemic awareness and we honor that all those defense mechanisms and we depathologize them, then it's it's an absolute recipe for flourishing together. And I have seen many of these groups and it's every time again it's touching, every time again it's fresh. There's nothing repetitive or it's a beautiful way to witness human growth together and be part of it. Like we are always growing as a community and I think that's fascinating. And that's why I think individual healing work in collective spaces is an absolutely powerful and empowering endeavor. We'll talk more about that after the break and the concept you have of the relational field, which you describe in your book, Attunement. We'll be back after a short break. You're listening to High Energy Health. My name is Dawson Church. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church, and I love sharing with you about the amazing, inspirational, and practical things we can do to support our well-being. You'll hear them on the show, and I'm so glad you're making it part of your life. My guest today is Thomas Hubel, and his new book is called Attune, 
And as I was going through it, I found many very thought-provoking passages, also a very warm tone. The whole way he connects with his audience is a demonstration of what he is speaking about. So highly recommended his book. New book is called Attune. Thomas, one thing you talk about in your book Attune is coherence between what we're thinking and feeling our bodies, our minds, our hearts, and how many of us never really pause to ask ourselves, are we coherent? Are we congruent? Are all the parts of ourselves moving forward together, or are they in fundamental disharmony? And give us practices to actually interrogate our bodies and actually tune in and see if we do that have that kind of coherence. Go ahead and just share with us about that whole concept and what, what to look for and also what it feels like when we aren't in that space of coherence. And it's beautiful. So as you said, first of all, just to ask ourselves that question is important because sometimes we are unconsciously in ourselves the way we are and the way we learned it over many years. And first it needs to, oh, I ask myself the question, okay, how coherent am I? And how much awareness do I have of my body? How much awareness do I have in my daily life interactions of my emotional world? Is that something that's part of my experience or is it part, is it often kind of switched off and I'm experiencing myself more through my thoughts and my mental intellectual activities and that's how I process the world. And it's not that it's good or bad. I think we want to kind of let go a little bit of judging what is good or bad, then more creating more awareness because often we pathologize one way or the other too fast and then they don't create any awareness, which has become more judgmental. And then it's good to understand that often because trauma, as you beautifully said at the beginning uh, in your introduction, is also like is the body response and the nervous system's response to a strongly overwhelming experience or moment or pain. And this means that we have to shut down a part of our experience, numb it, in order to go, because there's so much stress in our body in that moment, that we can survive or go through an adverse or painful situation better. So the trauma response is actually intelligent. It's an intelligent defense mechanism that's supposed to protect us. And life learned that over hundreds of thousands of years or longer. That we, because often there's a pathologizing kind of judgment on trauma, that it's something bad. Of course, the difficult experience is not easy, but what happens in us and what we are working with later is intelligent. And that's very important. And, but it also means that shutting down part of my emotions or my body awareness is often part of the trauma response. So then what I often say, what we cannot feel, we overthink. And so the mind, the, our intellectual capacity, often needs to compensate on what we cannot feel directly when we interact with the world. And then that combined with the scientific age often makes one of the main defense mechanisms over mentalization actually hidden in a very scientific and rational world. And so we need to, to decode that together and say, okay, there's science and all the breakthroughs and that's amazing and that we want to support that obviously and make it flourish. But we want to discern what's me over-processing mentally because I don't feel safe in this world, because I feel very stressed, because I cannot feel certain parts of myself and certain parts of others. That's why I often guess 
how other people see me. That's why I often guess what they feel about me. That's why I'm often anxious if I belong. All these are trauma symptoms that might keep me busy. And so that the mental activity, the emotions and the body don't express the same information is also something that has been normalized in a collectively traumatized world. So we grew up in a world where our parents most probably had some of it, our teachers had some of it. When we look at politicians, we see it very often. So that a coherence of these three factors and of our relationships is something that's not always around us. So it's not the normal state. And then we see extraordinary moments of disconnect. Disconnected aspects are part of our daily experience. And so developing an inquiry process and developing an, an inner kind of witnessing process. Okay, what's actually happening in my body? Oh, I feel a bit tight or I feel very open. I feel uh, stressed or I feel relaxed and regulated. It seems like these are simple things, but they are not that simple at all. They are not so clear in ourselves that I have access to my emotional range and I'm not avoiding constantly some emotions and, and experiencing some others more. These are, these are, this is kind of part of an awareness process. And then once I see this more in myself, I begin to feel and see it also in my environment and if i'm not judgment oh we shouldn't be like that but if i begin to hold more space for it because i understand that fragmentation is an effect of trauma not a kind of an evil inclination then we create relational spaces that begin to become more healing than more fragmenting or polarizing and i think that's a very important practice and it's also, in a way, how we interact with our children. I sometimes bring a very simple example. I say, when my daughter comes to me and says, oh, daddy, daddy, I'm scared. And then if I react to my daughter, I would say, and I say, oh, don't be scared. There's nothing dangerous in the house. So what did I do? I devalued the emotional experience of my daughter. I said, don't be scared. But my daughter is already scared. So, And the second thing is, I gave my daughter a rational answer when she actually needs something emotional from me. The other possibility would be, I mean, there are many, but the other possibility would be, I say, okay, I feel you are scared. Come to me, come to me. And in that moment, I create a connection to her emotional experience. My body feels her stress. I feel her stress. I offer her co-regulation. In the moment, she feels felt by me, her nervous system can relax, her stress level goes down, she can co-regulate her fear with me, she feels safe because she feels seen. And then I can say when her nervous system relaxes a bit and some of her functions in her brain come back, then I can say, okay, let's have a look what's happening here, if there is anything dangerous. So I bring in rational leadership, but after I met the emotional need that creates a completely different experience for her and she feels oh my emotions are being heard met and that means her fear is actually a shared space and like this we feel emotionally empowered and we can integrate our emotional experiences and there are waves that come and go and they're healthy they're part of life and so we can stay more open that's a great example too for the first more theoretical part.
Absolutely. All, the best of all worlds, they are meeting the person emotionally, and you can say something intellectual, but only after you've met the person and established that relational field. We're going to go to a break right now. Please stay tuned. You're listening to High Energy Health. Thomas Hibble's new book is called The Tune. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church, and I love sharing with you on the show every week a space where you can come together, be part of a community, and find both inspiration, tools, and also ways to apply those to improve and upgrade your life. Please join me here every single week. For more on Thomas's work, go to his website, thomashubel.com. I'll spell a few Thomas H U ebl.com, thomashubel.com, for more on his new book, Tuned, his Collective Trauma Summit, and his non-governmental organization. All of that's available, and you can find all of those links through thomashubel.com. Thomas, one of the things I enjoyed in your book, Attuned, was the whole concept of what you call three-sync practice. And that's both attuning to what you feel, that coherence you mentioned earlier, and then attuning to others. Go ahead and describe that for us and how you practice it. It starts with, okay, I, I, our breath is a fantastic function. So when I connect to my breath, I exhale a few times. I travel with my exhalations into my body and I notice where do I feel lively, energized in my body. So I connect to the parts that I can feel easily. I get to know my body in different places. I see, okay, how do my legs feel? How does my belly feel? My chest? I go through my body and I get to know my body. And the more I practice that, the more capacity I develop. And then I can ask myself, how stressed am I? How much stress do I feel on a scale of 1 to 10? And if I feel stressed or tense, so then I embrace those sensations. If I feel relaxed, so I deepen the relaxation through my breathing. And then I can ask myself, okay, that was the physical dimension of sensations. And I can ask myself, okay, what's my emotion right now? Sometimes emotions are strong, but sometimes emotions are very subtle. There's a little bit of joy in the background. There's a little bit of anxiety. There's a little bit of whatever love or a little bit of irritation or anger and so whatever i find i say yes to and sometimes i will notice and i ask myself, i cannot tell i feel maybe a bit numb it's also good we bring awareness to that then i can ask myself okay how do i feel mentally how does my mind feel am i very busy and stressed sometimes our thinking is very tight sometimes our thinking is very creative and open and inspired so it's calm it's busy it's tight it's open and then i also pay attention how relational do i feel do i feel open to the my environment do i feel a bit tight and retracted into myself and that's also an amazing transition into attunement to others so i, I tune to myself it's like you you tune your instrument when you have a guitar or a piano you need to tune it from time to time so it plays music beautifully that's the same with us we are the instrument and then my body right now is in resonance with your body. So practicing I feel you and I feel how you feel me 
is the basic building block of relating. So the more we practice that, we call that in neuroscience, there's a word it's called neuroception, and we, our nervous systems are socially wired. So we are actually always attuning anyway. It's not nobody, there's nobody in the world that never attuned to anybody else. We do this because we are wired like this. As children, we attune to our parents all the time. It doesn't matter if they're there or not. When they're not there for a long time, then we kind of take it back but we know how to attune it's it's biologically wired and and then when we feel each other then we often say in 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 the attunement practice i practice i feel myself i feel the space in between us because in the space in between us i feel how you attune to me how i attune to you how open is our data connection and that Neuroception principle says when we feel each other, we feel safer with each other. When we don't feel each other, we feel a bit more distant. We know this maybe from daily life. When somebody is a bit more distant, I ask myself, oh, does the person like me? Why is it distant? What's going on? We become a bit more uncertain. When we feel somebody is more open, we feel more safe. So that's great because every one of us can provide that space of attunement and that makes the environment the ecosystem that we create feel a bit more safe it's something we contribute and maybe it will not work every time because sometimes we get triggered by stuff but we can practice that and then we can also listen more to to the other person's experience so then i feel you too like how your body feels, my body resonates with your body, my emotions resonate with your emotions. So there is a kind of a whole data transfer going on. And I often say attunement is like a good internet connection. We can speak, <laughs> we can speak now because the internet's great, but without great internet, we would just have a stuck conversation. And that's also how it looks like in life. When we are not attuned, we often have misunderstandings, we have conflicts, we have tensions, we of all kinds of side effects from ill attunement and not being attuned opens the door for re-traumatization. We cannot re-traumatize each other when we are when we feel each other. So what traumatization happens in not attuned spaces because we are too stressed, we are too whatever, that we can't feel each other anymore. So that's why I think it's a very important individual, relational, and social contribution. Yeah, and in terms of not being able to feed each other anymore, if you look at a lot of the um, huge massacres and social disruptions in history, you you find that there's dehumanization of the other. Of course, you know, with, with Nazi Germany, it was the master race, it was the, the Superman, it was the Jews being a subservient or a, uh, you know, a, a, an inferior race. But you find this everywhere in uh, in Rwanda in the 1994 uh, Holocaust, the, 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 the huge, the huge massacre there of the the, the the large percentage of the population, the the Hutus called the Tutsis cockroaches, and they again dehumanized them. Um, a lot of that was happening in the Russia-Ukraine war, in Russian propaganda in the early stages of the war toward Ukraine. Uh, in Darfur, the in Sudan, there's also that dehumanization of the other. So when you use language like that separates you from the other, then you can you you're you're inherently breaking that sense of attunement and then you can do horrible things to people. You can't do that if you feel that that sense of connection. So I, I'm so glad you, you brought that up. We're gonna go to a break right now, but please stay tuned. You're listening to High Energy Health. My name is Dawson Church. For more on Thomas's work, go to his website, Thomas 
I'll spell Hubel for you, H-U-E-B-L, thomashubel.com. You can also find out about his Collective Trauma Summit there, as well as his NGO, his non-governmental organization, and his newest book is called Attuned. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church, and I'm so glad you're supporting your well-being by being here. Make high energy health a habit. We have an amazing lineup of guests. We have an archive of hundreds of shows. There's no shortage of inspiration at High Energy Health. Also, we have some wonderful co-hosts who are going to be hosting the show over the next few months while I'm on a retreat in Hawaii for three months. So make sure you tune in and hear what they have to say. A lot of them are funnier than me, and they're mostly cuter than me, too. So you're going to have a, a very, very rich experience as you listen to High Energy Health for the next next few months. For more on Thomas Hubel's work, go to his website, Thomas Hubel, and that's spelled H-U-E-B-L dot com. His newest book is called Attuned. At that website, you can also find out more about his Collective Trauma Summit, and also his non-governmental organization, all at thomashubel.com. Thomas, this whole idea of dehumanization of the other is a necessary condition for war and for, for conflict, because you can't really um, kill a person who you feel, feel close to. And um, I was so struck by the study showing that when excavations were made of American Civil War battlefields, and they retrieve, they retrieve thousands of muskets from these battlefields, and they find that half of the soldiers never fired their muskets. They could not point a gun at somebody else and pull the trigger. Same thing happened in World War II, and in fact, the army had to retrain people after World War II, uh, before the Vietnam War, before the Korean War, because they found that 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 something like you know 30% of, of all soldiers could not point a gun and fire it at another another human being. So we're, we're definitely not wired that way. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Very strong what you're saying. I think it's very important that we all keep that in mind. Yeah, so it's that dehumanization process that leads to conflict. And you know, you point out in the in attuned how that dehumanization process happens even at the level of our own bodies. And you're first trying to welcome us to not not dehumanizing, not not splitting away and having that separation from our body. And then you move then into our relationships with that wonderful concept of the relational field you talk about in attunement and then to these applying to these huge social issues. And knowing that there are these big, big fields of trauma that, that are collective. So in the last part of our talk here today, <laughs> this may be a little bit of an unfair question, but is this a fixable problem? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. First of all, I think it's very important that we create the public awareness that it is an issue that we are all part of. The collective trauma doesn't just exist outside. We all have been born into a world that was already hurt over many generations and healed itself and got hurt again and healed itself. Like it's a process that's ongoing. And I think the first step is a public awareness building. The second step is I think we, I have seen in many of the large scale groups and, and workshops we have done with lots of people, like really big groups, 
that the power of it's like i often compare it to a laptop and a quantum computer like when when like an individual and in an isolated form like i just with myself look at, at the collective trauma like it's a huge iceberg and while we talk in all these crisis fields ukraine sudan yemen and others there's more trauma happening than i think can be integrated in the time that we are talking here so it looks like it's, it's too big but on the other hand i have seen in these collective healing moments that when we come together as communities and and also like the community that you create here like these communities have a lot of power and can create a lot of resilience relationality safety an environment that has a much higher integration power than separate individuals so the you know one day like there was a time there weren't any hospitals and then we discovered wow it would be really great to have hospitals for people that need medical care and it really changed something in society i think we need something similar not the hospital but in a, a structure and an architecture in our society that will be supported by the state by the government that to deal with the collective traumatizations that we were born into that are part of our societal fabrics is a public health must not just an option because i think over five or ten years in having spaces where we can integrate our collective wounds and our collective traumatizations would change our healthcare costs dramatically would increase well-being and health in our society would transform the frozenness there's so much energy frozen in the trauma in our societies when that gets liquefied and released step by step there's a lot of creativity there's a lot of post-traumatic learning there's a lot of wisdom there's a lot of ethical learning as a consequence i think we would decrease racism we would decrease anti-semitism we would decrease violence by domestic violence in in families we would increase public health in many many ways we would decrease criminal rates we will decrease incarceration there's so many symptoms that actually are trauma symptoms that can be changed if we if we develop an architecture and the fact that it doesn't exist yet doesn't mean that it's not possible the hospital also didn't exist and then it existed so we need to make it happen and i think it's definitely a doable thing i think it's one of the root causes also that lead to climate change the fragmentation disembodiment that is a result of trauma is also a lack of feedback loops in the biosphere and a dysregulated behavior that can be changed through integration and i believe we need that resilience in order to deal with climate change impacts because that creates again a lot of trauma and if we are too fragmented we, we can't deal with hundreds of millions of climate refugees in in the next decade so i think it's actually something we have to do and it will contribute a lot to our health and well-being to our flourishing and to the what i often call the res respecting human rights when we see human rights as the right to be to be in life the right to become to flourish and have a meaning and a purpose and the right to belong to be part of a healthy relational network i think if we support this in everybody we know and in ourselves 
then I think we create a flourishing world together. And so, yeah, I think it's a necessity. Thank you so much. I so appreciate you focusing on that vision of global flourishing. And now this is a necessity, not an option for us if we're to meet the challenges of today's world. So thank you so much, Thomas. It's been a joy to connect with you. And everyone, go ahead and do these processes for yourself. Find your own flourishing. It all begins with you. That's the way change spreads out to the world. You've been listening to High Energy Health. It's been great to have you here. Join us every week. Till next time, be healthy, be happy, and love yourself. All the best. 